from Romans 3, verses 21 to 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through the faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Andrew, thank you so much for reading for us. Good morning. Allow me to lead us in prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day today, and we thank you that we can meet together as your children to hear you speak to us. We pray that you'd help us now, help us to concentrate on what you have to say, and Father, we pray that you would give us soft hearts to receive it, and we pray that you would uh, speak through me today, um, through your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Imagine how it must feel to miss a penalty in the most important game of your career. Imagine how it must feel to then see your opponents lift a trophy that you feel you gifted them. Imagine how it must feel to then lay your head on your pillow at night with a penalty miss replaying in your mind's eye over and over and over again. And imagine how it must feel to hear that voice in your head saying, how could you miss that penalty? You should be ashamed of yourself. This is all your fault. You've let your entire country down. To add insult to injury, imagine how I would then feel to receive racial abuse. The racial abuse Rashford, Sancho, and Saka faced since last Sunday has been sickening and heartbreaking to read about. This morning, we're thinking about the righteousness of God, and, and the reason I open today's talk by talking about racism is not only because it's a live issue, but because, as we'll see, the righteousness of God has a direct bearing on issues like racism. God's righteousness is not some abstract idea or just some theological musing. It impacts life. God's righteousness is highly relevant to us and to our situation. So it should come as no surprise that we find the theme of God's righteousness all over the Bible. We see it emphasized in the Psalms. So, for example, in Psalm 11, verse 7, it says, The Lord is righteous. He loves justice. And in Psalm 71, verse 19 Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. But what does it mean? What does it mean that God is righteous? I think Romans 3, verses 21 to 26, 
is a tremendously, tremendously useful passage to help us answer that question. The first thing I want us to consider uh, from this passage uh, about what it means to say that God is righteous is this. God defines what is right. God defines what is right. Have a look at verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. What's the point of this verse? Paul is saying that the gospel reveals God's righteousness. We'll think a bit more about this uh, a bit later on. But first, I want us to consider what is assumed in this verse. If now the righteousness of God is revealed apart from the law, what does this imply about how the righteousness of God was revealed in the past? It implies that previously the righteousness of God was not revealed apart from the law, but through the law. That is, through, through the Ten Commandments and the other 600-odd laws that the, that the Israelites were given by Moses in the Old Testament. So God's righteousness was previously made known by the law. But now, it is made known by the gospel. Now this does beg the question, if we already had the law to reveal God's righteousness to us, why do we now need the gospel to reveal it? And the short answer, I think, is this. The law only revealed God's righteousness in part. But the gospel reveals it in a fuller sense. So one reason I'm not tempted to to convert to Judaism from Christianity is because only the Christian gospel can give me that fuller sense of God's righteousness. Because of the gospel, Christianity gives me a fuller picture of who God is than Judaism or any other religion can. Now, before we, we think about how the gospel reveals God's righteousness, it will help us to first think about how the law reveals God's righteousness. So Paul, in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, says, Is the law sinful? Certainly not. I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. How does the law reveal God's righteousness? It taught God's old covenant people, the Israelites, what was sinful and what wasn't. It taught them how to distinguish right from wrong. It taught them how to live ethically and morally right lives. Similarly, today, as God's new covenant people, we know what is right because of what God has revealed to us through his word. So we, we learn how to live rightly by following God's word. But we do it slightly differently from how the Israelites did, don't we? As members of the new covenant, we're not called to follow the Old Testament laws in the same way that they were called to. So how are God's people on 
this side of the cross to live. Paul in Romans 12 says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Paul's way of saying what Jesus taught? Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then in Romans 13, Paul says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Doesn't that sound remarkably similar to to Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself? Here are two vital examples of what right living looks like for us today. And we should follow them because they are given to us by God who is perfectly righteous. It is he who in his precious word defines for us what is right. Now, what would our world look like if we all obeyed what God defines as right? What would it look like, for example, if we all obeyed the command to love your neighbor as yourself? I think our world would be a much happier place to live in. Instead of hating or despising those who are different to us, we would cherish them. Instead of abusing those who have a different skin color to ours, we would treat them as beloved fellow image image bearers of God. And instead of turning a blind eye to the mistreatment or, or inequality of others, we would look out to their interests instead of only looking to our own. In short, this world would look much more like the world that is to come. Brothers and sisters, when, when God tells us how to live, he does so for our good. He wants us to flourish. So do we see the What an enormous privilege it is to have God define for us what is right. The the author of Psalm 119 really helps us to feel this. He says, At midnight I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. At midnight I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. When's the last time? You woke up in the middle of the night just to praise God and tell him, Lord, your righteous precepts are amazing. Thank you for them. We don't do that because deep down, we don't actually believe that we're really that fortunate to have them. Friends, God defines what is right, which means we can know how to live. And his ways are good. How marvelous it is that we have access to them. What does it mean that God is righteous? It means that he defines what is right. What else does it mean? It also means that he does what is right. Our second point is God does what is right. Have a look with me at verse 25 and try to spot the repeated idea there. 
Verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Did you notice what Paul repeats? Speaking of the cross, he says twice that God demonstrates his righteousness. A key reason Jesus willingly laid down his life on the cross was in order to display God's righteousness. Now, how exactly does does Jesus' death reveal God's righteousness? In verse 25, it says that in his forbearance, God had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Friends, if, if God were to allow sin to go unpunished forever, what would that make him? It wouldn't make him righteous, would it? It would make him unrighteous. It would make him unjust. God, as the judge of the world, must punish sin. If he didn't, we could not say that he always does what is right, could we? And we could not consider him a good judge. But he does punish sin, and and therefore we can say that he does indeed do what is right. Paul is showing us in these verses that God must judge sin in order to uphold his righteousness and his reputation. A God who doesn't punish sin simply cannot be trusted. Would you be able to trust in a God who who turned a blind eye to evil? I wouldn't. Which is why I'm so thankful that God doesn't. He always does what is right. By the way, this doesn't mean that God always does what is right in our eyes or according to our standards. He does what is right according to his standards. The theologian Wayne Grudem says, God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. God always acts in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of what is right. The Bible is shot through with a theme of God doing what is right. In Genesis 18, uh, when Abraham discovers that God might destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for its evil, Abraham says to God, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And what is God's reply? He says, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, 
I will spare the whole place for their sake. In other words, I will do right. Friends, the, the judge of all the earth does right. He's not a corrupt judge who can be bought, nor is he biased. Paul says in Romans 2, verse 11, God does not show favoritism. Isn't this the kind of judge who we all want? One who is fair and always does what is right? Even the best earthly judges are not worth comparing to him. Human judges in earthly courts often base their judgments on limited information. But God knows and sees everything. This is the kind of judge we need. Now I want us to see two key implications of God doing what is right. The first is this. God demands what is right. As we've already seen, God has to punish sin in order to be righteous. He cannot be a good judge if he doesn't. Now, the upshot of that is it's pretty self-evident, isn't it? If, if God must punish sin, it's because he requires that we not sin. As the righteous judge, he demands that we, his creatures, living in his created world, live rightly. God in his love has set behavioral boundaries for us so that we do not harm or destroy ourselves, others, or the world. But there's a problem. Who can say that they've actually lived rightly? So in Romans 3, verses 10 to 12, Paul says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. There is no one who does good, not even one. Those verses don't, they don't leave us much wiggle room, do they? They tell us that we are all guilty and deserve judgment. We've all failed to do what is right. Sometimes we compare ourselves to others and we say to ourselves, I'm not too bad. I'm not as bad as that person. I didn't post anything racist on social media. But here's the thing. Maybe our sin, whether that be racism or any other type of sin, is just more subtle and well hidden. Sure, the world might not see it because you didn't post it on Facebook. But God doesn't only see what you choose to post on Facebook. He also sees what you ponder in your heart. So there's no hiding our sin before God. Now here's the good news. Even though we are all guilty of sin, for those of us who have faith in Christ, our sin has already been punished. Anyone who repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus is no longer guilty, but righteous. 
because Jesus has been punished in our place, it would be wrong for God to continue to hold our sin against us. The penalty has already been paid. Imagine sending someone back to prison for a sentence they'd already served. It would be outrageous. Now, incredibly, not only has God declared us not guilty, he even declares us righteous. This is the second implication of God doing what is right. The second implication is God declares us in the right. When Jesus, who never sinned, took our sin upon himself, uh, took our sin upon himself on the cross, he gave us his own righteousness. This is what the reformer Martin Luther called the sweet exchange. Jesus took our sin and we received his righteousness. Verse 26 says, says that through Christ's death, we know that God is just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The word justify in the original language is the same as to declare right. Friends, because of Christ's death, we are in the right with God. This means that we have a harmonious relationship with him, a joyful one, with our heavenly father, akin to the one that Jesus, his son, has with him. That's the sort of relationship we have with God the Father. This, of course, doesn't mean that we we come to share in Christ's divinity, but we do come to share in his intimate relationship with his Father. His Father is now also our Father. Because of the cross, God loves us as his precious and dear children. Now, Since God declares those with faith in the right, how should we respond? Well, if you you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, what are you waiting for? What's on offer is nothing less than the righteousness of God. You can be forgiven of, of all your sin and have the most incredible relationship with God. Would you, would you really not rather have that than have to face the punishment yourself for this, that your sin deserves? And if you think the offer sounds too good to be true, that's because the gospel really is jaw-droppingly good. John Newton, who lived in the 1700s and before his conversion was a slave trader, Uh, but later became a pastor and abolitionist. In awe of the sweet exchange of the gospel, wrote, Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Gareth Southgate recently said that the abuse the black England players have received is, quote, unforgivable. Now, I understand why he said that. It is unforgivable in the sense that it is vile and unacceptable. I agree with that. 
But is it unforgivable in the sense that it can never be forgiven? If we repent of sin, of any sin, even of the ugly sin of racism, God will forgive us. Cancel, cancel culture is so popular um, in our society right now, right now. And I could rant about that because I absolutely hate it. It is so antithetical to, to the gospel. So cancel culture is really, really popular right now, right? Deplatforming people who disagree with you, deplatforming people you don't like, or deplatforming people for saying uh, one wrong thing. You're out. That's it. I'm scratching your name off. You're going in the black book. Unlike cancel culture, unlike our world, God will not cancel us if, let me stress that, if we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus. If we do that, God will declare us righteous. That's how powerful the gospel is. It saves wretches like John Newton. And it saves wretches like you and me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for you are a righteous God. Uh, Thank you for the laws you give us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your righteous precepts. Thank you that they are so reliable. They don't fluctuate with the shifts and the culture's thinking. They are sturdy. And Father, thank you that you are a righteous God. You always do what is right. Father, thank you so much that you are just and that you made a way to make us just. Father, may we praise you for who you are and for all you have done for us because of your righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.